This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic to cosplay to Schitt's Creek to Supernatural and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Things live stream for this week. We're continuing our celebration of pride by talking about George Michael, who is sadly missed, of course, um, but it's so great to be talking about him. And it's so great to talk about a musician because, as everybody knows, music is my number one love. And we've talked about music one other time on this podcast (laughs) out of over 100 episodes. So I'm very excited for this. But we have two great panelists with us, Carla, who's been on every single live stream we have done since we started doing live streams. And we have a great guest panelist, Jesse from Sudden But Inevitable podcast, and they just started their second season last night. So I'm very excited to have both of you on. So I want my panelists to introduce themselves and tell me one thing you're into right now in pop culture. Carla. Hi, I'm Carla, or as you can see, my name tonight is Carla's Whisper. And, oh, well, I guess it would be nice to tell you what I'm into, the things I'm very into, but it's George Michael all day. No, it's not queer as folk, although I tweet about that. I tweet a lot about that, and it makes Aaron sad. (laughs) And you tweeting about queer as folk does not make me sad. You having Well, not anymore. (laughs) <laughs> you having wrong opinions about Brian is what makes you sad. <laughs> I think it was making you sadder in the first couple of seasons just because like there were so many tweets about Brian. <laughs> I was like, ah. and I knew you weren't going to like him. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I was like, she's not going to like Brian at all. But, you know, whatever. I'm trying to get over it. So... <laughs> But she's starting to like him a little bit more in season four. And she agreed with him. And that was like, I almost <laughs> it. So, yeah. So, so Jesse, first time on here. So tell me what you're into. And also, uh, Ricky says you didn't put a costume on. You actually took your costume off. Is, uh, is there something Ricky D <laughs> from Best Blakes with Ricky D. Oh, it's Ricky He's D. not D. incorrect. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's not incorrect. I uh, this is more my true self. I'm I'm more flashy and confident than I seem to be sometimes on our podcast, the Sudden but Inevitable Rewatch. Uh, but right now, uh, I'll be 100 percent honest with you, ladies. I'm mostly just into Cowboy Bebop because that's what we're covering on this season of Sudden but Inevitable. So I'm watching Cowboy Bebop. I'm listening to the soundtrack constantly. But my off-brand answer is the Castlevania anime. I just finished the fourth season of that and I was 
very satisfied. Uh, horror in general, not really my thing. Castlevania, though, definitely my thing. And a high production value anime, also definitely my thing. So I've been loving the hell out of Castlevania. And uh, definitely recommend you check that out. Where is that? That's on Netflix. It's a Netflix. Oh, it is on Netflix. Okay. Okay. And this is Aaron. And I got to see another movie in a movie theater today. I went and see went and saw The Conjuring, the third one, The Devil Made Me Do It, which I had a lot of fun. I know some people don't like it, but I thought it was good. I thought it was kind of scary, which, you know, it takes a lot to really scare me, but I love those movies. Plus seeing Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson together is always wonderful and amazing. So that was great. And then my other thing is last Saturday, Aaron, the other Aaron A surprised me with her find of Boogeyman with the award worthy performance from Barry Watson. I cannot believe this. She said there were two copies there. They were $4 and she bought both of them. And the guy was like, you want to buy both of these? <laughs> She's like, Hell yeah. And inside it says Blockbuster. So I'm very excited. I haven't watched it yet, but I am very, very excited. Okay, awesome. So let's get into George Michael. So, of course, everybody knew George Michael first from Wham. So I want to know, Carla, did you love Wham? And are there favorite songs of yours from Wham? I feel like I didn't so much love Wham as it was that I loved George Michael. In Wham, so it just worked out really well for me that he went solo eventually. But there are a few songs that you can't help but love. And of course, you know, you have Wake Me Up Before You Go Go, which is, you know, a classic. That's one probably the first song that I heard by Wham. And I heard it when I was in Mexico, so I had no idea what they were saying. I was like, doop, 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 doop. It wasn't until I moved here and like many years later when I just happened to hear it on the radio that I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Like, they're doop, doop, doop. And I mean, they're just like, last Christmas, the only reason that I like that song now is because of the way that it's used in the Mindy Project. So it's more like, like a sentimental kind of attachment to that song. By far, my favorite Wham! song is Everything She Wants. Because... It's one of those songs that um, I feel like when, because they were so poppy and they were so, you know, cheerful and everything, people kind of disregarded the lyrics. And I think that that happens a lot with a lot of acts. And it just reminds me also of, of Hey Ya by Outkast, where Under 3000 says, you know, you're not even listening, you just want to dance. And this is a similar thing because with everything she wants, and like, I, I picture it kind of, you know, you're standing in line to get coffee, right? And there's a guy talking very loudly on the phone behind you. And he's saying, you know, like, you know, some people work for a living. Some people work for fun. And I just work (laughs) for you. And whoa, like, okay, this is getting juicy. I want to listen to more. You told me marriage was a give and take. And you told me you could, you showed me you can take. You've got some giving to do. Okay. Now this this is getting too personal. Maybe you shouldn't be this. And now you tell me that you're having my baby. (laughs) I'll tell you that I'm happy if you want me to. Whoa, okay, this is too much. Um, can I please get service like now? Because this I, I don't want to be hearing about this, but one step further and my back will break. If my best isn't good enough, then how can it be good enough for two? Whoa. Okay, so you're like you've got your coffee, you're ready to run away, but the last thing you hear is, My God, I don't even think that I love you. Whoa. 
TMI. Save it for when you're in your car just yelling. I the whole coffee shop has just heard you telling your spouse that you don't even know that you love them. And she's having your baby. Okay, this is too much. But what I love so much about the song, <laughs> in addition to all of that, is that you're it's one of the first songs that I remember listening to and I remember hearing the lyrics for where it's an imperfect relationship and it's kind of uh, telling you, okay, don't settle, you know, don't just marry somebody because you feel like you have to marry somebody because you're going to get stuck in this, in this thing where, you know, if you don't really know them all that well before you get into it, and you discover down the line that you're not really compatible, then you've done all this for nothing. And then when you add kids in, it makes it all the much, all the more difficult to extricate yourself from the situation. So I think like there's just a lot jam packed into that beautifully written, beautifully sung song. And yeah, it has like a poppy beat to it that you can kind of like dance to, but it is stellar in the writing. And that for me is what really makes it that was amazing. I mean, seriously. <laughs> to your point, Carla, I, I think that a lot of the music in the 80s specifically was kind of the, the sort of thing where you would sort of just disregard it out of hand because it was all pomp and flash and no substance. You know, I mean, a lot of acts were actually that, you know, and yeah, and I feel like some of the some of the best stuff that got going in the eighties is the stuff that, you know, stuck around because it was actually good, even though it sounded like eighties music, it actually had some content in it. And I think that's a excellent, excellent point to bring up. I mean, it's like Genesis is the one that I always think of when I think of eighties music that used to sound like eighties music, but still had content. Right. I'm like, Oh right. yeah, there's still soul in that. And it still touches me, even though it sounds like he's saying nonsense. Right. Like, but I, I, I think that's probably what made George himself, if I can use only his first name, I don't know if that's appropriate, but Denied. I think that's probably what made him stick in the public mind. You know, it was like people immediately recognize, even on those Wham songs that are not really about something, because there are some of those Wham songs, you can still hear like, what it, there's something about that guy's voice that is deeply compelling. And there is talent in there. I don't know what the hell they're mm. talking about, but they sound great. <laughs> like, and that's yeah. It's it's to me, those are hard to find. You know, like a lot of '80s music. It's really easy to go. Yeah, they're a one-trick pony. This is what they did, and then they, they never did anything else. But I I think my favorite part of listening to George Michael, and when I say listening to, I mean going in a YouTube binge is watching his hair change and his looks change. And like, you can watch his demeanor change as mm -hmm. he becomes more comfortable with himself. It's just like, this guy is an artist, right? He's, he's a musician, but he's a musician in the style of an artist where mm -hmm. when you watch his videos, you can tell like, you know, this guy has a vision for how he wants this story told musically. And it's like, I just, I, I feel like to, to be able to instill substance into your music just through pure force of will and talent, especially in the eighties is something that is, I mean, that's huge, right? I, I can't really think of many other musicians that you could say that about. 
he was an artist, a true artist. He was a very talented, very gifted songwriter, a very gifted musician, a very gifted performer. I mean, just watching him on stage is amazing. Watching him in videos. He really knew because, you know, in the 80s, you had videos. MTV was the big thing. And he really knew how to utilize that medium because I think some people didn't know how to utilize it too well. And he really did. When we talk about his solo career, I'll talk about a lot of that with the album Faith and the video for the song Faith, too, which is just incredibly memorable. I mean, everybody remembers the little his butt in the very beginning. And then, of course, his guitar and, of course, the jukebox and all that stuff. So, yeah, he's yeah. he is. Yeah, I think artist is a great way to describe him. I think the 80s gets crapped on too much music wise. It's my it's one of my favorite genres to listen to. And there are some great, great musicians that came from the 80s. I mean, I think Depeche Mode is another one that personally for me means a great deal to me. Same with like Violent Femmes. And um, you've also got Bruce Springsteen. You've got John Mellencamp. People that were actually saying stuff with their songs as well and weren't just about you know, which I love the cheesy hair bands too, but weren't just about that or weren't just about the one hit wonder things. So yeah, he was absolutely incredible and very, very sadly missed. I mean, one of those that I really remember when he died, that was. Uh, yeah. He passed away the same year as Prince and David Bowie. That's what I thought. Yeah. So we lost three great <laughs> musicians all from that same time period, too. Yeah. And those are the ones that impacts. I can remember because mm -hmm. I know like 2016 was just yeah, packed with memorable losses. But you're right. I mean, and that's the, that's the thing is like, so to, to sort of jump, I guess, back in my own timeline a little bit, my introduction to George Michael and Wham specifically was through my mother. I'm, I'm a very late 80s baby. I hope that's okay. I only, well, I didn't really live in the 80s, right? I was born in yeah. the 80s, but I grew up in the 90s. So um, most of my earliest music taste, of course, you know, as it does for anyone, came from my parents. Thankfully, my mother has eclectic music tastes. So everything from George Jones to George Michael, you know, it was, it was one of those things where I was like, this isn't my music. This is my mother's music. And for some reason... I am really into my mother's music. I don't understand this. Like, I've n why should I be into my mother's music? Like, that's weird. But when I told her, like, hey, I'm going to be on this podcast, Ma, and we're going to talk about George Michael, she, like, immediately teared up and she put her hand on her chest and she went, do you remember when we would sing Faith in the car Aww. together? And I was like, yeah, Ma, that's why, like, I've, I asked to be a part of the show. Like it was one of those things where she said, George Michael, I was like, Oh, I have an emotional connection to that. So my mother was like, Oh my gosh, you have to talk about this. You got to talk about this. You got to talk about this. I was like, yeah, I, I know I'm, I'm going to get there. Ma. You know, but <laughs> the next thing that she said was, do you remember when he died? And I said, I, I remember how it affected you. Yes. And she, I mean, she was that whole year to your point. She was a mess. She has seen all of those people perform live so she was like and, you know that was her formative music so she was like she was devastated you know i mean possibly possibly more so with prince than michael jackson but she was like 
for i mean the whole year she just was like you go to her house and she'd have music on like really upbeat happy pop music that she was just bawling to <laughs> like what are you doing to yourself mother she's like i gotta listen to george michael i gotta listen to michael jackson so yeah it's it it was one of those losses that was like like you said carla everything just felt like it was stacking up and up and up like why are you doing this to us here like mm -hmm. give, let us keep some of it come on you know but you know all good things as they say but he yeah he so his life had quite the quite the effect on my life even you know as a tertiary adopter right yeah and and um actually ironically enough i was having dinner an early dinner with my mom and i remember my mom playing the faith album when i mean i'm older than you jesse i'm not going to say how much older but i'm older than you but i remember her playing that album a lot and then she's buying all she's rebuying ac records like she's going through her life and buying records that meant something during different time periods and she's like oh then i've got to get that one. Oh my gosh thanks for reminding me <laughs> So it is great to hear that. And uh, Bailey said, it's it's so nice to hear other people have emotional family stories related to him. And yeah, and his loss. And that's that's very true. That's very true. I know that someone did send me a story. I don't want to say it if it's something they don't want said, but did send me a great, wonderful story that really shows how uh, powerful music can be and how powerful artists can be to connect us and especially if we don't feel connected to people, that it might be a way to connect. Okay, and Bailey said I can tell the story. So thank you, Bailey, for giving me permission. Bailey told me that, you know, where she, where Bailey is is, in, is pretty conservative and not very LGBTQIA plus friendly. And she, she was telling me that when George Michael died, it was a moment of bonding with her family that didn't really happen much and it was a time of sort of acknowledging the loss of someone who you know this connection they didn't have you know with someone who meant so much to the community and being able to acknowledge how big of an impact he had and how great that loss was and what a powerful moment that was for Bailey and to be able to experience that and to have that memory. So I just, I just think that's a really great story and really goes to show how important George Michael was, um, that you can have that, that if you might not feel like you belong or people are recognizing you or recognizing how important certain things are. And then to have people that you may have not had that recognition from before to sort of connect with you when you're experiencing a big loss like that is pretty pretty profound. So I want to thank you again for sharing that with that with me, Bailey, because that was really awesome to listen to when you sent that to me. I actually cried. So that was a really beautiful, beautiful story. So thank you very much for sharing that. Okay, well, let's move on to his solo career, which Faith was his first album as a solo artist. Let's talk about that and how you felt about his solo career and favorite songs and that kind of stuff, Carla. And if you want to break down any song. <laughs> There's so many that I could break down, but okay. So we start out with faith, which is his first 
big solo recording. And then just before that, though, the, the transition song is Careless Whisper, because that one is he's still with Wham and it's still he he credits Andrew Richley in the songwriting, even though Andrew, Andrew Richley didn't have anything to do with it. But it, it's a tentative moment for him because he wasn't sure about whether he wanted to go on or off on his own. He's very this is from like a couple of documentaries that I, that I watched, but he, he, he really didn't know if he could do this on his own, but he desperately wanted to. And that's just because like, if you start to see the progression in, in his music and his songwriting, that's not something that could have, that really jived well with the wham aesthetic and the wham overall, you know, musical, whatever. So he writes Careless Whisper, and this is a song that he, with he wrote when he was 17. He releases it when he's older and when he's in Wham. And he has said that, he, that it really bothers him that people are so emotionally attached to the song because the song is not very good. And that always cracked me up because it's a very famous song. And let me tell you, I hate the saxophone with, the, with like a fervent passion. But every time that the saxophone part comes on to introduce Careless Whisper, I am there for that. And that Wait. is pretty much like. I'm sorry. Do you just hate the saxophone like as a concept, or do you hate the saxophone in this song? No, not in this song. This is like one of the few general? times that I, in general, I hate the sound of the saxophone. I hate saxophone players. I hate the shape of. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm never. I'm so kidding. It's so, just, like the moment was, in the good. Lost Boys where he's jammed. <laughs> Okay. It's like die. Just somebody attack I was like you. I've never met somebody with a vendetta <laughs> against a horn before. Like, well, this is this is a wind instrument that I am happy to see go down in flames, and which is very hard because it's made of brass. But okay, yeah, I'm I'm just not a fan of the saxophone in general. Like I think the sound is generally cheesy. I just wanted to know. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't make me go off on a rant about saxophones, man. Like, okay. don't ask if you don't want to know. Just putting that out there. Rant. The sex rant. You know what? I love I Want Your Sex. I would hate the parody version, I Want Your Sex. No. Thank you. I do not allow that. Don't want your sex. So, I don't want your sex. Carla, Carla is what's um, a term that I have recently invented to describe somebody who feels like they represent the parts of your soul that you wish were the most prevalent, right? Like, this person, I think, exemplifies what I wish was better about myself. So the term I came up with for that is soul slice, because Carla <laughs> is like a slice of my soul. And when you put them all together, Love you it. get this big multi-topping pizza of good, good karma and good, good energy. And the reason that I had to bring that up is because I was also like just dying to say, I want your sax. And Carla <laughs> beat me to it. And it was like, this is just meant to be. Oh. I love, love you, that. Carla. Back to George Michael's solo career. <laughs> so the, the album Faith, it's so different from his image in Wham! Because Wham! is like family friendly for the most part. Like, you know, good, happy fun. And everybody just, you know, dancing, very 80s, whitely dancing. But... Very 80s Whitely has got to be the name of this episode. <laughs> he is 
he really comes to embrace in that particular moment of his life, the sex symbol status and, and the everything that it can do for you as an artist, because it can really put you in front of people's eyes. And the fact that the first single off of faith is I want your sex. I think, because if you just hear, it's a song called I want your sex. And there's a lot of lines in it that are very, you know, like I want your sex. I want you. So you just think, okay, well, this is, a horrible song. It's terrible for our children. Oh, you know, like the puritanical American coming through, which is why like so many radio stations either outright refuse to play it or like Casey Kasem would play it, but he would refuse to say the, the name of the song, even though it says, I want your sex 30,000 times in the song. But if you really listen to the song, it's about monogamy and it's about how, because this is, you know, in the middle of the, of the AIDS crisis and the AIDS scares, so artists who are not straight and they're not out, there's a lot of pressure to write songs that appear that appeal to hetero listeners. And especially so in a time when homosexuality is already demonized and as the AIDS crisis uh, is used to further anti-gay sentiment. So, you know, these songs have like a dual purpose because it's not just translating like a thought or a feeling into rhyme. It's also layering it be, you know, with your actual desires and experiences, but also a veneer of straightness um, so that it can be palatable to the, you know, the general masses, as it were. The, the videos are very heteronormative and very, you know, it's a dude and the girl and they're going to bone. But the song itself is, it, it's saying, yes, I know we're all in a panic because we may get AIDS, but if you're being monogamous and if you're being careful, just go and do it. You know, it, there are so many lines in it that, um, and of course, like now my brain is failing me on it. But what's your definition of dirty baby? What do you call pornography? It's weighing on my mind. It's weighing on my soul. It's taking so much time. So why don't you just let me know? But all of it comes down to let's just do this. If we're careful, we'll be fine. You know, just enjoy sex because it's a wonderful thing. Um, so, and, and like... To your point about that song in particular, though, Carla, with the lyrics, like, I feel like, for me, what struck me immediately about it was, uh, in particular, the content, right? Because I'm like, well, I have never heard somebody say that in music before because I'm very young, not because, like, I've never heard music, right? But so it's like, I've never heard somebody talk about this and... And he's talking about it with a lot of confidence, like no questions asked. He's like, this is how I want this thing to happen. Here's how I feel. What do you say? And it's like, it, it's almost like, it, it's almost like his impression of heteronormativity to your point, Carla, like this is how straight guys talk. They're just like, Hey, what's up girl? You're hot. I want to do you. Let's go do it. Like, it, but he still manages to instill that with like some poetry and some rhythm. And again, the confidence in his voice is like, to me, that was the striking part of it. Right. Cause if, if right away you're like, Oh, he said sex. And then you start listening to it and you're like, Oh, he knows what he's talking about though. It's not like he's just saying sex for some reason, like right. yeah, it's getting my attention, but he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. And it's, but this is part of the whole package of him packaging himself as this idealized version of, of what a, um, a sexual icon is and using that to bring people 
on and listen to his music and really listen to the lyrics because all of the other songs in the album faith they're about something you know like even monkey which is just like the silliest song i don't know why it went to number one because like it's it's a (laughs) why can't you do it why can't you set your monkey free and we all know it's like a literal monkey it's not like marcel and friends and they're trying to like (laughs) sell him to a zoo or anything no it's like you know get the monkey off your back okay we get it it's still a song about a monkey why would you do this but faith i guess it would be nice if i could touch your body but even that song is about something more than just touching people's bodies and then the, the two major ballads, well, actually three, because you have Kissing a Fool, but the two real major ones that really stand the test of time, which are One More Try and Father Figure, those songs, part of the reason that they're timeless is the, the, the lyric and the way that he sings them, because there's so much passion in them, particularly, I think, with uh, with One More Try, it starts out kind of softly, and he's kind of, you know, begging, please let me go. And then he he, he hits that that part towards the end where he's just like singing his soul out and he ends with saying okay well you know i'm too weak i I, just let's try one more time father figure is a song that i think is really often misunderstood because you know it's not it's a sexy song he has a lot of sexy songs but they're not always about sex and father figure is not about sex it's about learning from somebody having somebody in your life that you can look up to as a young person who is trying to navigate the waters of relationships and of, of, in his case, sexuality, you know, he, he's singing this as somebody who's looking back and, you know, like being kind of like a mentor or somebody, you know, but if you look specifically at the lyric, I have had enough of crime. That's a very important lyric in this song because, you know, homosexuality is seen as a crime, as a sin, as all of these things, all of these taboo things. And it's very important to him to get across the point that it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be like that. And I've, I've had it with this stigmatization and, and this being uh, kind of cast aside because we have this, you know, quote unquote, forbidden love. Um, so I think like that's very important to acknowledge. And then as you go on to his other albums, there's such a change in the demeanor and in the the type of music, because it starts out very poppy with faith. It's very straight up rock pop. You go to listen to Without Prejudice, Prejudice Volume 1, and there's a huge leap from the one to the other, because then you start to hear the notes of Bossa Nova and more jazz and uh, more funk coming into that album. And this is a point where he he doesn't want to have that same image anymore. He starts refusing to appear in videos and all of the videos feature models because then you're still getting the titillating sexuality, but you're not getting him as being part of it. So he's, you know, taking his own power back from the label, from MTV and saying, no, I will give you what I want to give you of me. And the rest is just my my voice and my songs. And that's what has to be the important part. You know, his cover of They Won't Go When I Go is the best version of that song. Like, no disrespect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no disrespect to Stevie Wonder, but that is a George Michael song when he sings it. Mm -hmm. Just, oh. And, like, this is the point where where I actually started to really pay attention more to George Michael because I started relating more to the the lyrics and to the music. 
but there are so many just great songs in that album. And it, you start to hear more substance to it. There's a lot less really wondering about life. There's a lot more preaching about life is my take from it. Where he starts talking basically about materialism and capitalism and how, oh, charity is a coat you wear once a year. Praying for time. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Praying for time. Um, because it is a song about recognizing that, okay, how much stuff could you possibly need? You know, like, and it feels kind of rich coming from this super rich mega star, right? But this is because at this point, we don't know the extent of his charity. We don't know the extent of um, how giving he is. We don't know that until after he's dead. And then he meets Anselmo Philippa, falls in love, loses him. You have this huge gap. And then he comes out with Older, which for me is my favorite album of George Michael's. You have the songs Older, Fast Love, Spinning the Wheel, my mother had a brother. Just all of these songs that are about mourning. The, the whole album is about mourning and sadness and loss, but also about coming out through the other end and realizing that, you know, like there's a gift that he received from Anselmo, um, the gift of love, that even though it ended too soon, he still got to have that. And that's why I think uh, Jesus to a Child is probably one of his absolute best songs because it really it captures all of that all of that mourning that loss that gratitude so beautifully i mean and what have i learned from through all these tears i waited for you all these years and just when it began he took your love away but i still say when you find love when you find that it exists then the lover that you miss so all of these beautiful things that he's saying is and it's contradictory within the song but that's why it's perfect because it is something that you feel as, as, as a person who's mourning all of the contradictory feeling, feelings. It's like, I'm great. I'm so grateful that I knew you. I'm so sad that I lost you. Why God, why? But also God gave me you. So, you know, because you, you have like his greatest hits, you have Symphonica, which is like his greatest hits, but live. You have songs from the last century, which is just covers of older songs, which by the way, his version of feeling good is my favorite version of feeling good. His version of Brother Can You Spare a Dime, my favorite version of Brother Can You Spare a Dime. But then you get the album Patience, which uh, I think is his second best for me lyrically. You have the song Amazing in there, which is a tribute to his new lover. And how, you know, I, I think it's amazing the way that love can set you free. And you tried to save me from myself. So darling, kiss as many as you want. So you, now he's gone from like strict monogamy in his music when he was younger to a more open take on relationships where it's like, okay, it doesn't really matter if we're out, you know, doing whatever with other people, you're my home, you're, you're what, I, what I'm going to come home to. The song itself, Patience, is beautiful. It's another cry against materialism and against, um, you know, the satellite says, uh, don't you want it? Can't you see the things that you lack? And then like the father figures taking his children in his arms and turns his back against these pressures to have, have, have. But my favorite song off of that record is Through, where he's saying, you know, is that enough? I think it's over. Everything has changed. And all this money and uh, cruelty instead of love, people have we no shame. It's beautiful. He's acknowledging that, you know, greed gets you nowhere. It doesn't get you the love that you deserve. It doesn't get you the great things that are real in life. And he, there's that, that lyric at the very, very end where, well, towards the very, very end where he says, 
that, you know, it, it's a, uh, a cage of his own making. What kind of fool would remain in this cheap gilded cage? I have no memory of truth. And like the first time that I really heard the lyrics, I was just crying because it's so true. You know, like you can't have all these wonderful things. You can't have this mega successful career and all of this money and all the things that come with it. But is that really the best part of life? You know, like he at this point had already lost Anselmo. He had lost his mother. You know, like the, the two most important people in his life had had gone from his life. And all that he has left is money and fame. And is that what he really wants? And he's fallen to deep depression and he's using, using substances and getting into lots of legal troubles and everything. But, you know, so it, it's, a, it's such a reckoning for him that I think it, it's it's what really makes it for me really stand out. Um, I, as we go from faith on down all the way to, to patience, his songs become more confessional and more more revealing like he's really starting to bear his soul because that's all he has left you know he he's he he had uh david goss gross i forget his his last name for like 10 years which is you know five times as much as he got with anselmo but it's, he still wasn't satisfied like he's he still started spiraling and spiraling and spiraling so he never really managed to reach those personal highs after that so he reached for other highs that weren't serving him in his life and that you know th things just kind of got very complicated for him and then he stopped really writing and really releasing stuff which you know it, as, as a consumer of his art like it made me sad but it's at the same time like okay that's what he needed to do but just my whole point is that his trajectory as a solo artist is very very transparent and becomes more transparent as time goes by and as he releases more more music and you start to really get to know him down to the bone because he's he's tell he's letting you in so far that his uh his joy and his pain are undeniably palpable so Jesse what are some of maybe your favorite songs from his solo career or anything else you want to add on to that well Thanks for making me go second after Carla. That's right. You're welcome. Um, You're welcome. So <laughs> for me, I think it, some of what I feel about the his entire career mirrors some of what Carla was talking about. But he seems to like for me, the the themes that I feel like I could pull from almost any point in the discography are, you know, agency and respect. Like I need to have full agency over me. And that's it. You you're entirely in charge of you. Uh, uh, what does he say? Uh, Freedom ninety is I don't belong to you. You don't belong mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. And you know, and he's, but he also has lyrics of, you know, don't you think it's time you had sex with me? So it's like he's he's being very honest at all times, and I feel like his his raw vulnerability is is that that thing that I couldn't identify in his voice where I was like, why is his voice so compelling? Like, I just want to hear it more. And I think the answer to that is you, you can hear that vulnerability in there. You know that he's always being honest and open, even if he's feeling ugly or, you know, having a, a rough time. He's, you know, that he's accessing a true part of his soul. 
And I think what makes that impressive is some of the packaging, right? Like it looks like he's putting it in the shiny sex symbol package. And to Carla's point, like I wouldn't have picked up on that as a kid that he's using his platform to communicate how he wants, right? Like I didn't pick that up. I was just like, that guy is like very confident and wants to be on the screen all the time. I feel that way too. So maybe that's a normal thing, you know, like, so the, I think the most personal impact uh, that George Michael had on me was he was the first man that I ever saw that was like, he's really good looking. And then I had to immediately process that. Right. Cause I'm like, Whoa, wait a minute. I can't think a man is good looking. Like I'm a man, like what's, you know, I'm 12, like what's going on. And then, you know, you sort of naturally go, oh my gosh, what does that mean? What does that mean? And then eventually you learn, it doesn't mean anything. It means you can objectively appreciate beautiful human beings. Like, because I, I told my mom, I was like, he's like, what's the word I'm looking for? And she's like, incredibly handsome. Yeah, I know. And I was like, oh, can I just say he's handsome? And she's like, yeah, he's gorgeous. I was like, oh, okay. Like, she's not freaking out that I think he's good looking. So that must be okay, you know? And then you have this whole thing. I mean, everybody goes through it, you know, when you're whatever that age is, like the end of middle school to the middle of high school or whatever, where you're like, I am the world's most awkward person. I couldn't be smooth or confident or sexy the way that he is ever if I tried right and on top of that I have no idea what I'm doing so it's like to experience that all at that time where I was like okay I'm seeing that sexuality isn't like a defined hard line that you bump up against and you're like oh no right it's a spectrum and it's fluid and there's you know all matter of things that go into it but it also gave me the confidence to be like, and this is going to sound probably conceited, but it gave me the confidence to be loud and confident and arrogant sometimes. And, you know, tell people, look at me, put a camera on me. I want to have a podcast. I want to be on YouTube. You know, like it's, it's like I've identified with something in another person that I didn't know and was like, Oh my gosh, that's a thing you can do. You can just be, always confident and always talking about what you want and still be respectful. And apparently that's part of what makes people attracted to you, you know, because it's like, if he was also like a terrible person in real life, we would have heard about that. Like, I don't mean to co-opt, you know, a, a message of pride or anything, because of course that's not what I'm doing, but like, it's almost like seeing a confident gay man on stage helped me go, oh, I'm, it's okay to talk about your sexuality and ask questions about it without like panicking or feeling like something's wrong with you or feeling like this isn't something you should talk about, right? Like, I was just like, this is entirely new and I have to know what's going on. And it was, I don't know, it, it's really nice to be able to kind of pinpoint a moment where I was like, oh, okay. So normal is totally relative. <laughs> like, that's cool. I always thought normal was a set standard. So I, that's probably the biggest personal impact for me. And then I know it's the easy answer, but because of the interaction with my mother, it has to be faith. Like she, she cried today 
when she asked if I remembered singing that song with her in the car and I almost cried because she was crying you know when your mom cries you almost have to cry yeah, so like very true I, it, it was just like you know for me and then I hadn't heard that song in probably 10 years um the first time I heard it on the office and I was like oh, yeah oh my gosh, this is like, I'm having a flashback, what's happening? And like, I looked at my wife and she was like, what? And I was like, it's the, it's the song. And she's like, yes, it's Faith. What, what are you talking about? Like, I was like, oh, right. I haven't told you the story. <laughs> but it, I mean, this, the thing about that song, I think, is that it mixes that pop catchiness with just anybody can sing it well right because it's so well written and it just flies off your tongue it's like you feel confident and sexy when you sing that song i mean at least i do i'm not going to speak for everyone in the world but like i think if you sing the song faith even mm -hmm. to yourself you feel confident and sexy so I, I there's not a lot of songs that i as like a pretty average white straight dude can say that song makes me feel sexy when I sing it, but Faith is one of them. Like, I don't know if it works, but I feel that way. Yeah. Well, I will say though, I was singing that uh, today to Fergie, who is a dog, and she was not giving me confidence. She was looking at me like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> well, she doesn't get it. She just doesn't yeah. get it. And then and then I was singing like and then I was singing all these George Michael songs to her and she would be like, what is wrong? I'm getting down in her face. And I'm like, <laughs> she's like, oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to run away I'm from you now. Picturing you singing um, one more time. Like, you know, I did. <laughs> I did. That's exactly what I <laughs> and I feel like Fergie's more of an emo dog, though. I feel like maybe if, if you sang something more emo, she'd be more into it. Or uh, heavy metal, something. <gasps> yes, like, something, something so, that mentions murder and death a lot. She really, <laughs> she liked watching horror with me. It's so to she that would... point, well, not heavy metal, but there is a really cool cover of Careless Whisper that's very heavy. I think it's like I don't know what you would call oh, it. Oh, I now, think I've heard that one. I'm alt rock look or that something. Up. I, don't, mm -hmm. I don't know what you would call it, but it's very heavy and like. But this cover. Of a George Michael song is, I mean, yeah, it's a straight up cover just done in a different style and it feels maybe a little bit soulless, but you can't, you can't make a George Michael song soulless unless you mm -hmm. do the cover that cannot be named. Is that Seether? It Was might, it is it Seether? Oh my gosh. Now I feel bad for bringing it up. <laughs> uh, no, but it, they did, a, they did a great job. I, Seether is, I, <laughs> The guy, the, the lead singer of that band really like rubs me the wrong way. Have you ever seen a musician perform and immediately you're like something about that? I don't like like, yes, it feels like if you met them, yes. you wouldn't you wouldn't jive. I feel that way about the lead singer of Seether. Um, but the song, they did a good job. I mean, I think Freedom 90 is like so that was one of the videos that I watched this morning uh, after work. That was, I you know, I had like the 15 video playlist going and that was one of the ones where i was like i don't know that i've seen the video for this um apparently the george michael youtube channel has like everything upscaled to 4k it is gorgeous like super oh. high def george michael videos anyways 
the video for Freedom 90 is one of the ones that Carla had spoken of where it's there's a lot of models in it and they're all lip syncing and it's not just him. Mm-hmm. And the lyrical content of it was like, oh, he, he's, again, he's saying something here. Like, he actually is putting his, like I was saying earlier, his raw vulnerability is coming through here, right? He's saying boy instead of girl, like, which is subtle, but happening, right? It's like, um, I know Sam Smith had a similar thing where he stopped saying girl in his songs and started saying boy. And it was like, it must have been so liberating, right? To just, mm-hmm. and, and the point of that song is the freedom to do that, right? And then, yeah, his, I mean, just that reiteration of the the agency over yourself, you know, nobody belongs to each other. And then I feel like that's that's kind of, like Carla was saying, he started preaching life, right? That was, you know, in the gay community, the mentorship and the people who had survived, you know, all the persecution and then the epidemic, you know, and all that stuff. I know that those people were hugely important to the younger generation in the community because those were the people that were saying, you know, hey, we were we were at Stonewall, you know, we were here. We did these fights. This is why, you know, you are here because of us, you know, sort of a thing. And we're here to guide you, not like say thanks to us, but like, you know, we can help you with our experience. So to see that happen through his music and through his art and through his career and to know that it's like, it's so emblematic of the community, right? The support and the love and the unconditional agency and, you know, just you're in charge of you. And that's all I ask you to do. It's, it's, I mean, if you go watch a bunch of George Michael videos, trust me, it'll hit you like it hit us. It'll, you'll be reaffirmed in your love for George Michael because damn, damn. (laughs) Yeah. Very, 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 very true. And there's also a great documentary on HBO, which I don't know if my panelists have watched that documentary on HBO by George Michael. We haven't, but I have HBO Max. So you should go watch it. It should still be on there. So yeah, go watch that documentary. It's really great. And there's a great scene in there where you watch, they're playing, um, they won't go when I go. And you watch as Stevie Wonder listens to it. And you watch his reaction to hearing the song. And it's so beautiful because he's just overwhelmed. And he's just like, I think he cries. I can't remember. But he just thinks it's just absolutely beautiful. And it is. It's a lovely cover. I think it's one of the most beautiful songs, period. I cry every time I listen to that song and I sing all the lyrics. And it's almost like a... um, almost like a religious experience in a way because it's it's almost spiritual it's almost like being in a church and having like a church choir singing to you that's the way that song hits me and a lot of his songs feel that way when they are the more the slower songs and uh the ballads and stuff like that but i definitely agree with the album faith it has it i think it's one of the best albums ever 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 period I know of that for him personally, I know that he spent a lot of his life sometimes trying to get away from that because that was during a lot of when he was not being fully himself. And that's the way I view his music is as he goes on, you see a lot of him coming out and not just out of the closet, but becoming more free with who he is and free in his career. Cause it happens with a lot of musicians. I mean, of course, Prince as well, 
where they are controlled by their label, controlled by their managers, and they don't get the freedom to say what they want to do, say or do what they want to do. And so their art becomes so much of a business. That's the one thing you have to struggle with is if you are an artist and you want to make money, then that's business. But as an artist, you're like, I don't want to be a business. So always that constant push and pull. And I think he struggled with that a lot, just like Prince did. And I also got to see Prince in concert. I never got to see George Michael in concert, but I did see Prince in concert and Chaka Khan actually opened for him. It was the most amazing thing. It was so great. I feel very blessed that I got to see him yeah. in concert. It was uh, it was one of the best concerts I've ever seen. Sadly, it was at Fiddler's Green, which Jesse, if you know, oh, that's, I don't think that's yeah. the best concert venue. Couldn't, but couldn't have been. Yeah, it's not the best. Um, <laughs> Red Rocks, is especially the best, in Colorado. Yeah, you could go to Red Rocks. I saw Michael Jackson when I was a fetus. If that counts, <laughs> that counts. I was you at were there. I was at the concert. A fetus. Yeah. A yeah. fetus. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. That Jesse baby, he wasn't even born. He's listening to the concert through his mother's womb. Oh, it was it was a good time. I remember it yeah. was really fun. Yeah. We were probably kicking a lot. Yeah, <laughs> you were, you sideways. Were, <laughs> you were doing a moonwalk in <laughs> yeah. the pendulum kick, right? Yeah, yeah, or you were doing the thriller dance. And I think you know, "Freedom" is probably my favorite song of his overall. Because no matter who you are, you can find something to relate to in that song. And I think that's true of a lot of his songs. But I think with that one, you know, it's like it's it is about freedom, but it can be freedom. However, you define that freedom to be yourself, freedom from maybe something that's holding you back, freedom from a toxic relationship, freedom from a toxic friendship, freedom to finally pursue your dreams, freedom to be who you are. And that was so much of what that song was about and what that video was even about. And a lot of it defined, I think, a lot of his life going forward. And even though there were tragedies and bumps in the road and stumbles, I think what George Michael was all about was being okay. I I know you said okay with a different kind of with being normal, but and the defining normal as not what you might've thought normal was Jesse. But I also think what it is, is being okay with not being normal, not being that norm that everybody has there being okay with being weird and different and odd and embracing that. And also embracing the fact that you're a sexual being and whatever that means to you, whether you want sex, don't want sex, whether you're gay, straight, bi, pan, whatever that means to you, embrace that it's your sexuality own it don't be ashamed of it and he definitely wasn't and i know when the faith album came out that was like i don't think people realize how impactful that was and how impactful all the sexuality around it was and granted he wasn't out then or anything but it was so sexy i mean and it was something that was dangerous almost like even in the faith video and the way the camera pans up him When he's, you know, I mean, of course, his butt thing, but also when he's on the when he's by the jukebox and he's got his foot up and he's tapping there and his sunglasses and his guitar and his jacket. And it was like he was like almost like a bad boy. And he was also someone that, ooh you probably wouldn't want to get next to because, oh, he's so okay with 
sex and he's so okay with his body and he wants to be okay with your body and he wants to have sex with you. And I think that's the way a lot of puritanical people saw this really. It was like, it was like this. But but that's exactly, that's part of the appeal right there because his demographic was definitely the younger demographic. And what does the younger demographic want to do at any point is to tick off their elders. And it doesn't hurt that he has a beautiful voice, that he has really catchy songs but on top of it, you have the fact that he does look like the sexy bad boy that, you know, you don't want to bring home to your parents because, yeah, you know, exactly. oh, no. Oh, this George Michael, he's too sexy. He's too sexy. He has like, you earrings can just imagine. in both yes. ears. <laughs> yes. And he wears, like, leather stuff and he's walking around with a guitar. Like, why can't he take off his sunglasses? We're indoors. You know, so and all of these things. Real. Those jeans were applied surgically. Right? Like, <laughs> yes. There's no way that he just puts them on. He laid like they down had to and build had them around. His, yeah, they built yeah, the jeans like, around his legs. Yeah, because this, this is a time when socially, like, all this clothing was really loose and just you know, like, you had all of these kind of loose leg pants and and whatever. But the the rock stars all had these really tight pants. So you know, if you're a, a bad boy rock star, then oh my gosh, you're oh, it's too sexy, it's too much. No, no, no. But the absolute puritanical hypocrisy of the U.S. is consuming all of the sexy stuff and then vilifying it at the same time. Shaming it. Yeah, Yeah, which makes you ashamed of who you are and ashamed of your sexuality. And ashamed, you know, like like you were saying, Jesse, I love that you were saying that, you know, it was an interesting time for you to look at this person who you're like, oh, wait, he's attractive. Wait, am I allowed to think that as a straight man? Is that okay? And then realizing, you know, sexuality is a fluid thing. It just is. There are women that I think are absolutely drop dead gorgeous and that I've had my own little crushes on. And I think that's, that's a okay thing. You should never be ashamed of that. It's part of who you are. It's part of, um, you know, what makes us human. And I think too often in this country, we shame that, especially um, with men, I think, because I think women doing that, that's titillating to some people. Men, it's like, no, you can't find another man attractive unless you're definitely gay, you know? So I think, so I think it's great that he was able to do that. And another thing was, you know, you have in the 80s, you have a lot of the hair bands and you have like poison and all that stuff. And you have these videos where these women are sex objects in the videos. And granted, you would have very sexy women in the George Michael videos. And granted, you know, the singers of poison and all that were sex objects as well. But with George Michael, you had some of that camera panning up him like with a female gaze almost of his body. So it was very he was a sex object, which but I think it was handled in a different way than it was like with hair bands and stuff like that. It almost felt like it was an indictment of that because they used the same, it, it, it actually, to me, it felt like it was shot from a male gaze. They just put it on a guy instead of, cause they have the, the woman on the jukebox too. Right. And you yeah. got like two mm-hmm. shots of her and then yeah. it's like, Nope, it's all George now. So it was like, it was almost him going, well, you're going to, you would do it with her. Why not just, the same shots with me you know and it was like because if you look at it like if none of the stuff that he's doing is rock star stuff like rock stars don't wear cowboy boots and play acoustic guitars like mm-hmm. uh but he's like 
it's like, no, it's not a rock star thing. It's a sexy thing. Like it just right. everything from the top to the bottom will be good looking. And it was like, how do, you mixed so many genres in your outfit and it still worked. I don't know what how you did that. Like, <laughs> but I think we can all appreciate that he went from the wham hair to the faith hair. Right. Yes. Like <laughs> that was up in the step up. Oh my gosh. That, yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. You Talk look about back. a glow up. <laughs> yes, yes. And I want to share, because my mom can't type in the comments, but she's watching. I want to share what my mom just wrote about George Michael. She just texted me this because I just really think it's great. And she said, George Michael's songs are uniquely intimate expressions of his awestruck surprise at being alive. They're full of celebration and questioning performed for his maker and not for the crowd. He's like a Buddha on the verge of Buddhahood. That is such wow. a good observation. Yeah. Your mother is a poet. Yes, she is. She's an amazing writer. She's an amazing artist herself. So thank you, mom. <laughs> yeah, thanks, like, mom, because th those are really great points. And I mean, yeah. that's exactly, and like I said before, it's like as he goes on, that becomes even more and more apparent, like that that kind of shield of hiding behind being sexy starts to fall away. He stops appearing in videos. He stops, his songs become so much more introspective and so much more him putting his soul out there for the world to consume or not to consume because it's really just, you know, like it feels like reading somebody's journal sometimes. Mm -hmm. And what, what your mom said, like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. He does yeah. have that quality of like, it does sort of seem as though he's screaming into infinity. Like I will declare everything there is to declare about who I am and what I want and why I deserve to be comfortable with that to any, you know, heart or mind that is listening. And, and that's, yeah, that's an mm -hmm. excellent, excellent image that she conjured. Mm -hmm. Yes. So thank you so much, mom. That, that brought tears to my eyes when I was reading it. And yeah, so thank you for letting me share that too. So yeah, I thought that that was a great way. And that also, I think is, says, better than I was saying what I'm trying to say about George Michael has this power to, he does it. And I don't mean this in a, like at all, like putting him down at all, but he doesn't really give a crap if you are going to like him or not. And it's not that he doesn't want you to appreciate his art. And it's not that he doesn't want you to grow from his art or get something from his art. It's more that he has been through so much to get there and to get at a place where his art, his, his own art, and it's him and it's his lyrics and his music and nobody's going to be controlling him. And also to this, to a spot in his life where he can be like, this is who I am sexually. This is my sexuality. This is how I identify. And you're not going to pigeonhole me and you're not going to judge me. And so I'm just going to say what I want to say. And this is my journey and I'm sharing it with you. And in the end, the fact that people got something from that, I, I imagine that it probably meant a lot to him because I think he was just like, I'm just going to put this out there and I may get rejected. And I'm sure a lot of people did <laughs> reject him. I mean, you know, yeah. people, he, his, that faith album, I mean, this was before that, that was just one thing that people were just like, uh, uh, you know, wanting well, to destroy he, it's those like records. he was, it's like he, his, his career was an exercise in demanding acceptance Mm -hmm. But yeah. but in a way that was like 
that was still compassionate and demonstrative, right? It wasn't him going, you know, I'm mad at you and you need to fix that. He, it was him going, this is who I will always be. I love me. If you knew me, you would love me too. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's that's so prevalent in so many of his songs. And to your point, Aaron, I think that's where a lot of his impact does come from, you know, because it's like, I, I mean, it's similar to the impact that I was feeling, right? Where it's like, you can be confident and demand acceptance, even if you don't feel normal or if you have redefined what that is, you know, and if you've decided normal doesn't apply to me because I don't want it to. I want to be me, not normal. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like just that's that tiny little essence of that is in nearly every single song from start to finish. And to see it play out over the course of so many years, I think is what helps people to have faith in it. Sorry for the pun. But it's like <laughs> you can see that it's not something that he did to be the next big brand or something that he did because it was popular or, you know, it wasn't part of a wave. It wasn't part of a move. It was truth for him. He just wanted to share truth and mm-hmm. let people access their own truths through that. And I, yeah, he, his work and everything that he was is just beauty and in the most tragic way right it's pain that begets beauty that begets pain and i'm just grateful that of all of the years that the world has existed you and i happen to be around pretty close to and overlapping with a lot of the same years as that human being like how lucky are we (laughs) oh my gosh yeah that's very very true because you know, music is such a, such a powerful medium. I think it in a lot of ways is more, I mean, it, to me, at least it's more powerful than other art forms because it can instantly transport you to another time in your life. It can instantly transport you to a moment, to maybe um, a significant time for you. Uh, We were actually talking about that today when we were having dinner with my mom and my sister, we were talking about that, how when you hear an album, it might instantly be like, oh my gosh, I remember when I was listening to this when I was like 15 years old and I was going through this really rough time and this is what got me through. Or it can even make you smell something again. Like, oh, this reminds me of that perfume or this reminds me of this food I ate or something like that. It's such a sensory, it's just your sensory overload from, from music. It just can happen so easily. And that's why I just think music is the most amazing gift that has ever been given to this world. Honestly, I could give up movies. I could give up everything else. If I had to give up everything and only choose one thing from art, it would have to be music because I could not live without music. Um, it inspires everything. It it can turn a bad day into a good day. It can also do the opposite. It can also be a way for you to get out all your emotions and get out pain and get out sorrow and get out anger in a healthy way. And when you have an artist like George Michael, who had that gift, he was truly blessed. I mean, he was blessed with a gift. I mean, yes, you can study, you can train, but I think he was one of those rare beautiful artist that was born with this amazing gift and he 
blessed us by sharing this gift with us, by sharing his soul with us, by sharing his heart with us. And that's a beautiful, lovely, amazing thing that will last for decades and decades and decades. You know, my hope is, you know, decades from now, people who weren't alive when he was alive will discover his music and find something in it that speaks to them. And I do think that can happen because I think his music lasts. His music stands the test of time. As cheesy as that sounds and as cliche as it sounds, it's true with him. And that doesn't happen all the time. And I do think it's so amazing that we have lived in the time of so many great artists. And of course, we've sadly lost so many great artists, but we also still have some that are around that are such blessings and so beautiful. And the fact that they share their art and their heart and their soul with us is, it's just, a, it's just amazing. And yeah, I just... Music is just everything. <laughs> it's just really everything. And even when you don't have the lyrics sometimes, just even just the music uh, can speak to you in a way. And also I think it's like poetry where, I mean, of course it is like poetry, but where with poems, I think you can find something different in a poem than maybe even the writer intended. Hmm. And that's the beauty of poetry. And that's the same thing with like a painting or a drawing or any form of media. You can find what you see in that. And I think that's the way music is. Like his song, like I said, with freedom, that can mean different things to different people. And I, and I, that's what's so beautiful about it. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. faith is that way too, because it's, mm -hmm. I mean, the word is so loaded, right? Yeah. And like Carla was saying earlier, you know, they he is kind of juxtaposing this super sexy imagery with this uh, traditionally Christian imagery mm -hmm. where it's like he's got the cross earrings. He's talking about faith. He's also shaking his butt and gyrating his hips quite a bit and wearing some mighty tight pants and <laughs> has, you know, more product in his hair than the girl on the jukebox did. <laughs> and it's like I, he's. I, I don't know what it is. It's just he's visually compelling and he sounds amazing. But that concept could mean different things to different people, you know, because for me, what he's saying is like, yeah, it would be great to have this relationship right now. But I got to have faith that if I keep working on me, then I'm going to find the, the relationship that's right for me or I'm going to someday be right for you you know or who, whoever he's singing to it could be that or it could be I gotta have faith in myself you know like I can I can mm -hmm. get through another week with no crazy sex as long as I have faith in myself you know and then you know maybe it's also like but I also gotta have faith that the next option that comes up is gonna be way finer than you like there's so many things you could ascribe to that right mm -hmm. but it's just he's yeah I, I don't know Mixing pop with substance is a truly masterful thing. And I think that it's not appreciated enough. It it just it, in anyone that does it. Yeah. But specifically with George Michael, like, I mean, he is one of those names. He should be, it should go Michael Jackson, Prince, George Michael. You know what I mean? Like, it should always be that sentence. It should never be one of those guys. It should always be the whole sentence. But, like, 
and I, David I feel Bowie. Like maybe, well, right. Well, <laughs> David Bowie. I think a lot of people just put Bowie on his own tier, but like, that's true. I just, yeah. <laughs> I just feel like he's one of those names that I feel like I want to hear more frequently when people are talking about the greats, you know? So maybe, maybe we can help people do that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And like Panda says, and like I said, music can cheer you up on a bad day. You know, just spending this past week, just yesterday, I was listening to George Michael because that's all I've been listening to pretty much all week. And I was driving in the car, listening to it at full blast and singing at the top of my lungs and dancing in my car while I'm driving. I mean, don't worry, I was being safe. And what's so great about that is, at least for me, I don't care at all what anybody else driving by thinks. I don't care if I look like what is wrong with this person. (laughs) It's so much fun. And that's what's so, that's what's just so amazing about it. I mean, today when I went to, when I was driving to the movie with my sister, Journey's song, Don't Stop Believing came on and we turned it up and sang it, both of us at the top of our lungs, dancing in the car while driving to the movies. And it's just one of those where you're like, you have to do that with certain songs. Anytime mm-hmm. faith comes on, I you have to sing along to that song. And, you know, that song could also be interpreted in ways where, because you do have in the beginning, you have, it starts with music that's very much like church music, like choir music. And the church has hurt the LGBTQIA plus community so much and hurt a lot of people. I mean, the church just has hurt a ton of people. And so you could also interpret it that way too. You could also take part of it and see, you know, someone taking that and twisting, not twisting it, but uh, making it more beautiful in the fact that yes, you can still have faith. You can still believe in something. You can still have your spirituality and that can be separate from the church because the church is man. really, yeah. And that speaks to his just like his his audacious insistence upon being accepted it's like he's like i will mix everything that i can that makes you uncomfortable just for the sake of it and you need to accept that like it and it's it's not it doesn't feel like he's attacking anyone it just feels like he's going look look this is all just imagery and song look it's fine like if you look at the taboo thing you will see it's okay. Everything is fine, you know, and it's, it's, yeah, I love, I love his provocative nature. Like that might be the word that best fits him for me, like just all around musically, you know, everything like, but yeah, I, I, that's an excellent, excellent point, Aaron. (laughs) Yes. We need to talk about music more in this podcast. I'm very ashamed of myself because I'm such a music person. We are going to be talking about 80s music. We're going to do a whole episode later this year talking about 80s music. Yes, Carla is going to be on that one. So that will be a blast. And I'm sure when we do my live birthday celebration, I'll be talking about music a lot. <laughs> if I if I could, I'd like to ask one question before we move on. Yeah, you of course. Had, you had mentioned that music is one of your go-to things when you're having a rough day. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm definitely the same way. So if I am in a bad mood, I have to put on, uh, heavy, heavy music has to be rock or metal or something. Um, and then I immediately am energized and feel better. And I feel like I've focused myself. I'd like one song from both of you. It doesn't have to be George Michael, 
What's one song that you two go to when you're having a bad day? I was going to say a whole album, but probably Bluer Than Midnight uh, by The The is one of them. That's the first one that popped into my head. Uh, any Depeche Mode song also, but mm-hmm. I would say that Bluer Than Midnight by The The. It, it's very situation dependent. Like there's no one song that I really go to, but I feel like lately it's been a lot of Queens of the Stone Age that I gravitate towards when I'm having a bad day. Um, in particular, I sat by the ocean because it's just, it's, it's such a beautiful song and you can really sing along to it. And it's, I don't know. I think it's, it's, it's just a really pretty song, but it's very singable. So yeah. I would, I would please like, both of you to send me links to those songs because I want oh. to experience Oh, them. definitely, well, yeah. Um, whenever, if whenever, you insist. And whenever I can share the the with more people, <laughs> I will definitely do that because the the is a band that needs more fans, in my opinion. Well, and their album, and Dusk, point, is like oh, yeah. my soul. That's That song speaks to my entire soul. So That's what that I was going to say is... Yeah. For me, it was an album too. I was like, mm-hmm. I can't pick one song. So, like, if I'm having, if I'm feeling uh, upset or angry, I I listen to the album "The Fall of Ideals" by All That Remains. It's very heavy, very fast metal. All of the songs are like uniquely bright and positive. Like they're all about how, yeah, this is rough, but I'm gonna pull through because I've, you know, I've got the power to keep myself in line and stuff, and I think there's like no swearing on it. Like I noticed after listening to it several times, I was like, this is a whole aggressive metal album with no swearing, like, which is not, you know, I'm not like looking for an album with no swearing on it, but I do find it <laughs> impressive when people are able to pull that off, especially in the metal genre. Yeah, that is pretty impressive. Yeah. And we've already touched on this, but I just want to see if there's anything else everyone wants to add about the lasting impact of George Michael on music, on your life, whatever you want to say, Carla. Oh boy. Okay. (laughs) I'm trying to calm my body because I have so much that I want to say. As for his, his lasting legacy, there are just so many things that, that there's so many reasons why he's so important to me and to my life. I think this is one of the, the first artists that I, that really connected with me lyrically you know, yes, he's beautiful. Yes, his voice is just unbelievable. But really, it was the lyrics. And the first time that I really feel like, like a gut punch kind of feeling listening to his stuff was I was starting college and my best friend slash slash roommate, she had this single of George Michael and I forget what was on on the on the one side of it. But the other side, and we listened to into that one side of the single for I don't know how many weeks before we finally said, "Oh, hey, let's flip <laughs> it over and see what else is on here." And it happened to be "Jesus to a Child," and I, I as it is, I'm a very mel- melancholy person. Like I really gravitate towards slower, softer, more introspective, sadder things. And this song, uh, she and I were both crying when we finished listening to it. Because, and like I've said, you know, it's it's a song about Anselmo and love and loss and grief. And we hadn't gone through any of that really, <laughs> but just the way that he sings, it really makes you feel what he's feeling. So, and that's something that I, 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 you know, I really always wanted to be 
a musical artist. Like that was one of my my pipe dreams pipe dreams in my youth. Like I really wanted to write stuff that would move people. And this was one of the first things that really sank its claws into me. And I mean, we listened to that obsessively after that. It was just like, <laughs> like what other music is there? We don't care. It's still all about Jesus to a child. <laughs> and also because, you know, we're, we're both Catholic and we, we were both, I mean, we, we went to a Catholic college and we had gone to school together since the fourth grade, all through Catholic schools. So all of that imagery really, really stays with us because of those connections. But there's also another thing for me, it, again, in the Catholic vein is that in Ash Wednesday, there's always this reading. And I'm not Catholic enough to remember the name of the reading, but all I know is that it's uh, it's about not, not showing your faith for the sake of showing your faith and not showing your generosity for the sake of, join, of showing your generosity. So, you know, that's the one that says, you know, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. So you're, you're giving for the sake of giving. You're not giving to show people that you're giving. You're not fasting to show people that you're fasting. Um, and like the reason that I bring that up is that that's how George Michael did charity and how he did giving. The reason that we don't hear about a lot of his charitable giving until after he passes away is because he didn't need that praise. He didn't seek that praise. He was content in supporting causes and just giving money to people that he felt could use the money. There was an interview with a couple they they were trying to have a baby. It's two women. They're trying to have a baby and they can't afford the the IVF or whatever it is that they're trying to to use. And he anonymously donated money for them to have another round of IVF. And, you know, it's little things like this that he does because he he believes in giving and he believes in distributing his his wealth. He he was apparently very generous with um with giving gifts to people and their children. And he was, you know, always doing that. So like, that's another big legacy for me. It's, it's, I already believe in silent giving and he is, you know, and I was like, see, see, like one of my heroes did that as well. And I didn't find this out until after he passed away in 2016. There's also the legacy of, of course, of uh, his coming out. And how all of that happened, because he he has been, you know, conflicted. He wants to come out, but doesn't want to be outed. He's scared about being out and all of these things. And even though his songs are becoming more revealing about it, he's still not like out, out. And then in 1998, and this is like, so the older album with Jesus to a Child comes out in 96. So he's still not out, but he's singing songs about Anselmo. And in 1998, he gets arrested for indecent exposure because he was masturbating in in a like public bathroom or something. And that's when it's like he comes out, but he kind of also outs himself because he wasn't being as careful as he could have been. And like he he's even said in interviews that he also that it was like kind of on purpose, but not really because he was sick of being in the closet. And, and this was just like a subconscious kind of way of, of just letting the truth out there. And, but also for me personally, it also made me stop and think about, okay, well, why is it bad for somebody to be gay? Again, I've grown up in, in Catholic education my entire life. Um, why is being gay bad? You know, like George Michael is not a bad person, 
why is it bad for because you know this uh he was cruising with all of this and and it was done very clearly to try to entice somebody to hey come and give me a hand with this handy why don't you and so like all of the truth comes spilling out and like i remember kind of thinking well why does it matter you know in the grand scheme of things like how does this impact his life as an artist how does this impact all of the things that he's done for me as an artist to my heart and to my mind you know like so i can't even imagine being a gay man and having and being a fan of george michaels and then having him come out and not just be out but then he's like yeah i'm gay so what like who cares what do you care you know um what's the big deal here and he writes a song outside which is, you know, in the video, it's like one of his few actual appearances in the video after the Fate album, where he's dressed as a cop and he's just parody, parody, parodying the whole thing and just mocking it and sending it up beautifully. Like he's in on the joke, he rolls with the joke. He's like, yeah, yeah, and what's your point? Let's dance. <laughs> you know, it's just like a really beautiful way of taking it. And then he starts taking over more control of his image that way, where he was once running away from the paparazzi and running away from the cameras. He turns around and he's like, okay, I'm done running. You know, like you want to ask me something, ask me something, let's get it all out there. And he forges a new relationship with the media. And like the, the, the final layer that I'll mention is his control of his image as an artist. He, even though, you know, like he's in the hands of, of Sony in the beginning and he is trying to break away from them, at most points in his career, he has been in control of his image. And he has decided, this is what I want to project. This is what I don't want to be. And it works in his favor because he is, he believes so thoroughly in his talent that it's like, well, okay, you may be putting my music out there, but I'm super duper talented. You would be, you know, like you would be begging me to come on board at all costs. So he has this like massive amount of confidence and it's not unearned, which is, I think, something that a lot of artists lack. It's like they have the confidence, but they don't have the um, the goods to back it up. Mm-hmm. So it, it, his impact is something that I think will continue for a long time because as people, you know, discover his back catalog and, and will, you know, and really come to listen to his lyrics, I think they'll see that he was such a complete artist and that even in, in the albums that, I mean, nothing was going to perform as well as Faith. So even in the other albums that didn't perform anywhere near that, there is still amazing truth in there. There's still so much being said there that will continue to resonate for many years to come. Because those are those are messages that are not... They're not just of the time or of the person, even though they're very personal. I think we can all find something in this music that we can relate to at any point in our lives. And I think even in the future, you know, our kids will be, you know, playing with each other on on holograms and like, you know, like and, and transporting themselves to around the world, you know, by 
you know, oh, I'm just going to step into the world machine and going to go to China now. Bye, guys. And, you know, <laughs> but they will be listening to George Michael on their travels because the music will still have that much of an impact. And Jesse. You know, on my show, I try to be uh, as eloquent as I can at all times. And I really like to have just a brilliant final thought lined up. But I, I don't think I can top, add to, or improve upon anything that Carla said. And I, I just want to echo everything that she said and thank her for blessing us with her presence. And I, I realize this might be sounding sarcastic at this point, but it's not. Like, 100%, I just love to be anywhere in Carla's orbit. I will say, though, as far as impact goes, let's be real here, okay? Anytime anybody anywhere in your life says anything close to, I guess it would be nice, you're all over that, right? Like, it doesn't matter what the setting is. It doesn't matter if you're at work. It doesn't matter if you're in a meeting. Like, somebody says something close enough to that, you're, you're, you're set off. The whole song is playing in your head. And depending on the setting, you might just ask if I could touch your body. And then they'll go, uh-huh, very funny. But I mean, uh, it's, it's a half joke, right? But like, it's true that that is in the zeitgeist, right? Like that's, that's a sentence that you only need to hear the first part of. And then your, your memory is instantly tripped and you're on the same exact page as everybody else in that room. And like, that's a kind of ubiquity that a lot of artists are never going to see, right? There's, there's very few musicians who have a line from their song become part of the global lexicon, let alone, you know, the name of that song or the hook from that song or the jacket that you wore in the video from that song or your absurdly tight jeans from that song. Like everything about that is iconic and it's one track like that is mind-blowingly impressive and i just i mean i've listened to that song like five times in the last three days right i'll probably go listen to it again when we're done here just it's 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 arguably one of the best songs ever like if you were gonna make a list that song would have to be on it i think it, i i'm gonna say that for me it would but other than that, just just when you go back and listen to this, just listen to what Carla said and then listen to what Aaron said. And then everything that I said will sound even better. <laughs> no, no, what you were saying was great too. too. Yes, yes, it was. No, it really, it really, really was. So yeah, I, I mean, there's not much else I can add to what has been said already. Really love the image of in my head that popped in my head of watching grown teenagers getting in and doing the transporting to a different country while the album Faith is playing. <laughs> They're jamming out to it. I'm just picturing that. And I think I think George Michael would have a chuckle at that. <laughs> Definitely. But I do think, like I said, I just think the impact is going to be that his songs are universal and you can find something that you relate to in each and every one of them. And 
you know, they're the songs that you hear them and you want to sing them and you want to sing them like with your whole soul and your whole being, and your whole heart, not just like those casual little you're bopping along songs. I mean, I don't think necessarily the Wham songs are that way, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I love some of those, but they're not. I mean, wake me up. before you go. You're wake not going to be up. like. I gotta say that a, with my whole that's heart. That's a great song if you want somebody to uh, look at you really weird and then leave the room. Like, <laughs> it's also just you know an idea here, Jesse. It's a great way to introduce your child to the George Michael experience because you know if you get them young, yep, start them with waking up before you go go. Yes, exactly. That's brilliant, Carla. My daughter already eats those. Uh, applesauce pouches and they're called go-go so like yeah there you go it'll play it this could be i could make it part of her routine wake exactly. me up before you go go read me a book before you go go night night i mean this is and this, this could be for everybody I out there this is parenting 101 yeah. yes we're here to give you parenting advice not just we're not just here to talk about music and pop culture we're also here to help the parents yeah, and they'll handle that. I I, I can't give you parenting advice. <laughs> Dog advice. I can give you parenting advice if you don't want to have kids. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> or your kids. Parenting advice if you don't like your kids. <laughs> yeah. you There's also that. No, so did you do this with your son then, Carla? Yeah. You did? Yeah, okay. like one of, one of the, the songs like... that I had him listen to, I because... I, you know, what I'll do is I'll just play music that I know he's going to like, and I don't say anything about it. So I'm just like, it's in the background. I'm just like, oh, hey, mom, what is this? Can you put it on my iPod? Well, yeah, okay, I guess. Like, if you really want to listen to Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, <laughs> then I guess that can be arranged. And then I'll put it on his iPod, and then he'll bop along to it for, like, several weeks. He'll be really into it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's another song that you might like by the same artist. <laughs> Next thing you know, rabbit hole time. Now, did you do this, though, with Bon Jovi? Because I remember not too long ago, you said that, weren't you saying that he was complaining about listening to Bon Jovi? Yeah. And and that's because I was putting on the wrong Bon Jovi songs. I, I was, um, I had him hooked with Bad Medicine. Well, and I mean, then, I mean, it's, you know, if you want to have your kid medicine. listen to something. Yeah, Bad Medicine is like the primo Bon Jovi starter kit. But... Yeah. Then I switched to um, to like Always, which is not his strongest song, and the fascination kind of wore away. So I'm gonna have to like mm-hmm. you should have gone to like Run Away. Yeah, like I think a lot of the songs from like the New Jersey era and you know all of that will get him hooked right back in. So I'm not too worried. I got this cover. <laughs> but this has been a lot of fun. Honestly, it's been so much fun talking about this with both of you and thank you to everybody who's watched and made comments and definitely we need to do more music. So on our next live stream, we are going to be talking about a fanfic. <laughs> I just laugh about it because I still get, I don't know why, cause we are a fandom thing. So I mean, it makes sense, <laughs> but this is what we're going to be doing. And it's going to be at a different time because I am going to go see the lost boys at red rocks next Saturday night the movie so nice. i'm gonna have to endure the saxophone scene <laughs> <laughs> that carla would be cringing at if she was there with me i don't <laughs> want your sax lost boys 
<laughs> but come on, that's an iconic scene in the movie. <laughs> Look, I guess. Oh, come on. Do you is. have any idea how many sexual harassment complaints Carla has filed? Because it's, it's um, upwards excuse of me, 15. Actual how many sexual, yes, sexual harassment? Yeah. <laughs> Very many of them. So, yeah. So next week we are going to be talking about 91 Whiskey. But that's going to be next um, Saturday at 1230 Mountain Standard Time. And that's because, like I said, I'm going to go see Gloss Boys with the amazing saxophone scene. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> thank you both to Jesse and Carla. And before I have you say where your podcasts can be found. Uh, oh, actually, I'm just going to let you do that. Sorry. Go ahead. Because <laughs> I already did say what we're going to be streaming next week. Oh, sorry. I'll be saying it well, again now. Go for it, Carla. I can be found. Okay. Um, actually, Meg and I can be found at our podcast, which you can find through any reputable podcast dealer. It's <laughs> Bedwet Behead Podcast. And our Twitter handle is at Bedwet Behead Pod. You can find us on Instagram at bed.wet.behead.pod or on Facebook. Just look for Bedwet or Behead Pod. I also just want to say that I'm very excited to be. Aaron's co-host next week on like all of the episodes she's recording. That's true. You're on every single every single one. one. <laughs> yes, I will be in the queer. Yeah, she's folk, joining the queer. The ninety one whiskey and the Schmidt's Creek. So yes, find my face there. <laughs> Only one is going to be a live stream though. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and Jesse, where can they find you? Uh, so <laughs> my uh, my podcast is called Sudden but Inevitable. Uh, this season, it's called the Sudden But Inevitable Read Bop. We are watching back through Cowboy Bebop with two first-time viewers. One of those first-time viewers is my friend Josh, who is the head of the Twist My Arm Network, which is just a group of friends that know each other in real life. We all have podcasts that we make together. You can find me on Twitter at Sudden Butt, or you can go to twistmyarmpodcast.com to get every show that we make in audio and video format all in one place. One other thing I do have to bring up, we are still formulating and inventing something called Twist My Arm PodCon 21, which is a big, giant, virtual brainstorming session for indie podcasters. We want to talk about what works for you in marketing and branding and live shows. Um, you know, what's an easier way to keep your engagement up? Things like that. We just want to talk about what's worked for us, what's worked for you, and maybe share some of our knowledge and some of our experience because a rising tide lifts all ships and Twist My Arm would love to be part of your tide. Other than that, you can catch us every Friday night live on youtube.com slash podcast talking about Cowboy Bebop. You are going to see familiar faces there. Two of those faces happen to be sharing the screen with me right now and before i do go i have to say aaron thank you so much for running this and doing the hard work and carla thank you so much for being you and allowing me to benefit from knowing you it means the world oh thank you thank you I for saying you. that <laughs> yeah we we have as listeners know we have raved about jesse before on this podcast so Thank you. And I was really happy to finally have you on. Jesse will be returning later when we talk about it won't be a live stream, though, for that one, because Sasha, one of our panelists, is going to be on and she refuses to do live streams. So. 
it won't be live stream, but we're going to be talking about Stand By Me. So Aaron will be crying <laughs> for most of that episode. So apologies, but that's what's going to happen. <laughs> this is Aaron. You can follow our podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod on Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram, at Instagram, not ran, Instagram, Instagram, like a place where you can instantly get a grandmother. <laughs> Comes with a doily. That's just all I'm thinking now is if you need a grandmother, <laughs> go to Instagram. You can follow us on Instagram at It's a Phantom Thing Pod. And then I forgot to say where you can actually follow me. Sorry. You can follow me on Twitter at E April beauty, the E and the A and the B are capitalized. I'm back to tweeting more because Carla is back to her queer folk watch. So I'm back to mourning the fact that she cannot see, I mean, see first it's saxophones and then it's Brian. So maybe I've got to, you know what I've got to find is something with Brian and a saxophone. And just be <laughs> don't you do it. Don't you do it. I am a lot more happier now because Carla's <laughs> back to tweeting about Queer Spoke, even though she breaks my heart every week. I still love it. It makes me happy. And speaking of Queer Spoke, like Carla mentioned, that's going to be not our next episode that's dropping, but that's going to be next week. We're revisiting Queer Spoke. So I just want to throw it out there. Please don't put it in the comments right now because Carla hasn't seen every season. But if there is a storyline, because we're just going to be focusing on storylines for this, if there's a storyline you would like us to cover, please contact us on social media and let me know because I there's so many of them and I just want to make sure if there are ones that people want to make sure we talk about, please hit me up and let me know. And if you haven't already, go listen to our first Queers Folk episode, which is still competing with Lucifer for the number one most popular spot. Because every time it inches closer, Lucifer just gets more listens, which I just think it's actually Lucifer listening to the episode now. And he just can't stand that somebody's trying to beat him. Not even. It's just Tom Ellis. Like it's sitting in his home. I see that my podcast is falling behind. I am going to bump it up and listen a few more episodes. Okay, but anyway, on our next episode, we're going to be talking about Orange is the New Black, which we've already recorded this episode. And I think it's a really good discussion about what the show does right and all the wrong, 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 wrong things the show does, especially when it comes to tackling Black Lives Matter. That's where the show really, really falls short. So we talk about that a lot. We talk about representation. We talk about how important it is for representation behind the camera because then certain things won't happen. So, yeah. So I think it's a really good episode, though. We do talk about positives. It's not all negative. Uh, but that's with the other Aaron and Judy on that one. So that's a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everybody who has joined us. And until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. Thank you again for listening to It's a Fandom Thing. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Our logo was designed by Brooke Belly with cover art by Carla Temmies. Additional research was done by Megan Archuleta. Our Instagram and Facebook content producer and creator is Erin Amos. And our producer is Lila Tafola. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe. And remember, keep that fandom spirit alive.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.